it's not just grungy punks and drug dealers and people who want to you know skirt the system or whatever at these events it's actually genuine professionals looking at bitcoin in a genuine way to adopt it into their professions welcome back to beyond the price the podcast that goes beyond the flashing numbers to explore how bitcoin fits into the global economy and how real people and real companies are actually using it especially in Asia, although this episode is about Australia. On the show today is Chris Pavlesic, one of the organizers of Bitcoin Alive, an Australian Bitcoin-only conference taking place on March 23rd. Speaking of events, I've updated the calendar with several more events in February and March. In Australia, you've got a Bitcoin Sydney meetup on February 28th, then a week of events leading up to Bitcoin Alive. The first is Bitcoin Bush Bash on March 16 and 17. We talk about it in the interview. It sounds like a really cool event. Then there's another Bitcoin Sydney event on March 21st before the main conference weekend. In Tokyo, don't forget you have a workshop on March 1st, a lightning flea market on March 2nd, and then another workshop for developers on March 6th. The full calendar is at beyondtheprice.substack.com and let me know if I'm missing anything. Okay, my guest today, Chris Pavlesic, is not only an organizer of Bitcoin Alive, but also the founder of a Bitcoin company, and he's involved in several others. So this is a great episode if you've ever considered quitting your normie job and launching or joining a Bitcoin business. We talk about the Bitcoin advisor and the importance of inheritance planning with an asset like Bitcoin where there might not be anyone your loved ones can call to get access to your wealth. We talk about his company, CoinStop, and how he wanted to make it easier for Australians to buy hardware wallets, but face challenges that led to some unconventional business models. We also talk about the state of Bitcoin adoption and regulation in Australia and what they're trying to do with the conference, everything you need to know about the event and what you can look forward to, and finally, how he hasn't checked the price of Bitcoin in over two years and the impact that's had on him and those around him. Sadly, I won't be able to make it to Bitcoin Alive, but it sounds awesome, so if you are able to get there, I'm jealous. And you can get 10% off tickets with the discount code BEYONDTHEPRICE, all caps, if it's case-sensitive, so don't say I never do anything for you. Okay, Chris is a really interesting guy, so I know you're going to enjoy this. As always, let me know what you think by leaving a comment on Fountain or emailing me at beyondthepriceatsubstack.com. I'm here with Chris Pavlesic. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Bradley. So, Chris, you're uh, one of the organizers of Bitcoin Alive, which is Australia's first Bitcoin-only conference. But you're also uh, Australia country manager for BitRefill, and you also founded a, a company, CoinStop, which sells uh, hardware wallets and other devices. Is that right? Yeah, I like to keep myself busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, and you're also involved with... Uh, the Bitcoin advisor. That's correct. Yeah, one of the advisors over at the Bitcoin advisor. Yeah. What is that? I'm not familiar with the Bitcoin advisor. The Bitcoin advisor is effectively a kind of white glove service to help people get their bitcoins off exchanges and and think about the long term storage implications of holding Bitcoin. So, hmm. um, mo moving away from sort of just having a, a single seed storage solution. And obviously the risks involved with that, and you know, if you lose your wallet or lose your backup keys, that's it. Your Bitcoin's gone. You walk outside, you get hit by a bus. No one knows where you've buried your seed phrase. Your Bitcoin's gone. So um, the Bitcoin advisor, basically the, the, the crux of the, the core of the service is um, a multi-sig collaborative custody model. So whereby we create and we help you create a two or three multi-signature vault. 
Um, we hold a default key as a, as a redundancy plan should something happen to yours. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the crux of it all. It comes with a, a number of different ancillary services. Um, like the name suggests, it's a Bitcoin advisory service. So it helps you along your entire Bitcoin journey. We don't obviously yeah. sell or anything like that, um, but we help you with the storage. We help you with any questions with uh, asset protection, estate planning protocols, beneficiary training. So again, that example that I mentioned earlier, if you were to walk outside and get hit by a bus, what happens to your Bitcoin? That was actually the question I asked myself about 12 months ago, and I wasn't able to answer it effectively. Uh, basically, my Bitcoin would have went to the gray and with me. And that's not really what I want. I know perhaps the rest of the network would be happy that the, the circulating supply has reduced, but yeah. um, my beneficiaries and my hard work of understanding Bitcoin over the last decade is, is more or less lost in the instant. So um, yeah, that's kind of what the Bitcoin advisor does. It is such a foreign concept. We're used to always having someone we can call with our with our money or with our uh, investments. There's always someone who can who can uh, sort it out or give a password if uh, if things go wrong. But that's it's just not the case with uh, with Bitcoin. I had one of these classic conversations just yesterday. Actually, a friend was saying, "Hey, I I uh, had some crypto back in 2017, and now I want to." I want to find where it is. And I'm asking him, like, do you remember your address? Do you remember what wallet you use? Do you remember anything? And he's like, no. <laughs> so uh, hopefully yeah, it's not it's a, lost, it's a total but... shift, right? It's moving away from banking infrastructure and intermediaries where they are the fail safe. Uh, they handle the security. They give you just a credit card or a, or a login, and and the rest is handled. Um, it's a huge it's a huge shift mentally to to take ownership of that personal responsibility by owning Bitcoin, and with that comes obviously risks. And so, um, you know, the Bitcoin advisor model is effectively trying to build in backstops for your own stupidity or for your own mistakes or for bad luck or whatever might happen every type of scenario where you could lose your Bitcoin, and there are many, <laughs> um, from being hacked on an exchange, from being rug pulled to losing your keys, to your dog eating your hardware wallet. You know, there's a whole host of ways that you can lose your Bitcoin. And the Bitcoin advisor is basically trying to mitigate against all of those types of risks with its collaborative custody model. It's a pretty cool thing. Like I said, you mentioned earlier, my background with CoinStop, um, you know, Australia's first hardware wallet reseller back in 2016. I've helped single-handedly probably more people than anyone in this country get their Bitcoin off exchanges. We've sold tens mm. of thousands of wallets. I've done hundreds and thousands of um, consultations to help people understand these finer details and these concepts that are foreign to them. And so this is, in my opinion, the next evolution of, of custody. It's a, a kind of happy medium between you know non-custodial and custody. Uh, I think this multi-sig collaborative custody model fits nicely in the middle there where you get a whole host of different benefits. As we like to say here at the Bitcoin Advisor, it's there's no perfect solutions, there are only trade-offs. And so with every option you select, whether that's a single seed storage, a cold card, uh, leaving it on Coinbase, there are there are no perfect solutions, only trade-offs. And so you need to figure out what are the trade-offs that you're willing to make. Um, are you happy being the sole responsibility behind your Bitcoin? Well, if something happens to you, then your Bitcoin's gone forever for your beneficiaries. If you're If you're comfortable with that, then you know, you do you, but if that's a genuine risk, then you need to think about how to mitigate against that. I'm happy to see so many different solutions come out because I think you're you're right. People need a range of solutions. I mean, you have some hardcore people who who have 
probably almost their entire wealth uh, on a on a hardware wallet or like somewhere where only they can access it. And I mean, that's secure in one sense, but very insecure in another sense. So I think probably the best option for most people is is a range of options. I mean, it's fine for some stuff to to be in other people's hands to to trust them, but then to at least have some amount, uh, almost like an insurance policy, some amount where only you can access it, or you have, like you said, some kind of multi-party solution with uh, with yourself and and a company like Bitcoin Advisor, uh, in case everything else goes wrong. Yeah, and um, look, not to turn this into a Bitcoin Advisor um, podcast, but you know we have single-handedly helped clients that have unfortunately you know, passed on or got ill or whatever like that and had to move their Bitcoin on from the grave. And and through this model that the Bitcoin advisor has built, you know, we're very proud to say that we've never lost a single sat. And that's the minimum standard. Like the minute we lose a single sat, then it kind of breaks the whole model. Um, but, you know, we've had, unfortunately, um, three individuals pass on and they were the kind of holding the keys, so to speak, and their family had more or less no idea what was going on with the Bitcoin that was in the family trust. And so, you know, with our help, we were able to move that Bitcoin on from that person who passed away onto the beneficiaries without, again, losing a single sat. So, you know, it's not a nice thing to think about or to talk about death and illness and all that sort of stuff. But I haven't met anyone that lives forever. And so these things happen to us all. And we need to, at some point in time, figure out what that plan is. Um, and, you know, I'm young, so I was a little naive and thinking that ah, I've got 60 years, I don't need a will and you know, I'm untouchable. But the reality is I've got the same odds of walking outside and getting hit by a bus as you do or as any of the other listeners do. And so, you know, not to drive fear into anybody, but, um, you know, these are the things that we need to think about and mitigate against. And so a multi-sig collaborative custody um, helps is one of the ways that can help um, kind of protect you against, you know, full loss. Absolutely. One thing I've learned doing this podcast, because uh, I'm trying to cover Bitcoin adoption in Asia, um, and I guess extending down to uh, to Oceania, um, mm-hmm. I've been talking with people in, in, uh, in a number of different countries, and it seems like different cultures are uh, more or less receptive, or, or I guess accustomed to that idea of, of holding your own wealth. I think countries like I'm in Tokyo, Japan, is not really thinking in those terms. I think similar to the US, they've generally been able to trust their banks, trust their government. They haven't they haven't really explicitly lost their money, had it seized. Um obviously they are losing Yet. it through inflation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're losing it through inflation and uh we could see things get worse. Um but so far that that message of of having a, an insurance policy uh, or holding your own uh, some portion of your own wealth doesn't really resonate here. Whereas I was talking with uh, uh, some people in Vietnam, and and they said that's much more ingrained in people's uh, psyche yeah. there, even before Bitcoin, just because of their history. So would you say that that uh, message or that aspect of Bitcoin resonates with Australians, or uh, or not so much? I'd say Australia very much fits into the mold of the typical West in the sense mm. that we haven't really lived through any of this stuff. Um, hyperinflation and all that sort of stuff really hasn't hit our shores yet. Um, it's happening in plenty of other places in the world. And like you said, they get it. They're living through it. 
I think we're a little naive in thinking that, hey, our economy is one of the top economies and it can't happen here. And I mean, the reality is it's happening everywhere. It's just happening on a different um, time scale. And so uh, the way I like to think about it is like the US and all the big Western countries, um, you know, they're sitting, they're sitting pretty at the top of the totem pole. But when the totem pole comes crashing down, they fall the, the hardest because they're the highest yeah. up. And so, you know, it's a little naive to think, oh, no, it can only happen in Vietnam or it can only happen in Lebanon or it can only happen in Argentina. But, you know, to be honest, I'm almost like jealous of the fact that Argentina is hyperinflating because they're closer to the solution. Like they're closer mm. to realizing that they need to adopt sound money again. Whereas, you know, we're living in this uh, fantasy world here in Australia and to some regard, I, I imagine the US as well and, and plenty of other Western countries in the sense that, you know, we think everything's hunky-dory and it's all going to be okay and we can just print our way out of this. But, you know, at some point in time, it catches up with you and 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 that's the point in time that people are going to wish they adopted something like Bitcoin or some form of sound money. So I'm getting a jump on that for obvious reasons because I've done the work and I've put in the hours to understand what's going on with the economy and what's going on with Bitcoin and how it potentially can solve some of the problems. But, yeah, the vast majority of people in in these Western countries, including Australia, are just simply naive to it. They think, you know, the government will save us. It can't happen here. Like, you know, uh, yeah, it's going to be a rude awakening for a lot of people when it does occur. Yeah, absolutely. How would you describe the current state of Bitcoin adoption in Australia? Uh, pretty good. Um, like, we've got a really buzzing Bitcoin community. Um, if anyone's been to any of the Bitcoin conferences around the world, you'll often run into a bunch of Aussies. We're very well represented um, in that front. Um, hackathons, conferences, speakers, businesses, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in Australia. But again, we are a small market. Um, there's mm -hmm. only 26-odd million people here in, a, in the country. You know, that's the size of some large capital city in America. <laughs> so we really don't have the population to compete on that front. but and like I was saying, you know, we're a big isolated country in the middle of nowhere, which sometimes works in our favor, sometimes doesn't. And so being so big and so spread apart, the, the Bitcoin community here is a little bit fragmented, uh, not in the sense that we're against each other. It's, it's just physical size. Like what happens yeah. in Perth doesn't get spoken about what happens in Sydney. We're a four hour flight from each other and we're three hours time zone difference and we're in the same damn country. So um you know, it's pretty crazy. Like it's a very unique problem. Not many places in the world sort of have that. And so this is part of the reason of Bitcoin Alive's existence is just to simply connect everyone physically for one whole day or two whole days in the same room just to see what will happen. And so we, we tested that theory last year by doing Bitcoin Alive in 2023. And the theory has been proven. Um, turns out if you put a couple of hundred Bitcoiners in the room together, they all have a really good time and you know, businesses get created, podcasts get started, people make new relationships, all sorts of stuff. And so, you know, don't break what ain't, uh, don't fix what ain't broken. So we're, we're rolling with that same theory again that, hey, if we get us all in the room together once a year, magic will happen. Um, so I'm really looking forward to some more magic in, in a few weeks time. Um, but look, there's, there's lots of really high level, high level Bitcoiners in this country that really get it, have done the work, have been involved with companies at the forefront of Bitcoin, be it on the funding side, on the project side and everything in between. Um, it's just we're small. That's the only the only thing. And we can't really change that until our population grows or we get more bit more Bitcoiners coming on board. The unfortunate thing with the Australian market is it's very much a crypto, shitcoin, blockchain, Web3 um, market. Mm -hmm. So the majority of people here in Australia 
don't really get Bitcoin at the finer details. I think it's oh, this thing we can get rich off, and you know, fair enough. A lot of people come to come to the space for number go up. Um, once you've done the work, generally you then forget about the number go up, and you're more here for the revolution. Um, that's what I'm most interested in. Of course, the number will go up, and that will take care of itself. And I'm not too fussed about that. But what I'm really interested in is separating money from state. I think that's a, a bigger objective that we need to be striving towards, because with that comes a whole host of problems, but also solutions. Um, and so that's what really drives me. And um, but yeah, it's a it's a buzzing Bitcoin space. As you know, like I said plenty of different Bitcoin communities spread across the country to service those those regional areas. And we just want to connect them all together in in a beautiful event once a year. I'm always curious about what uh, drives someone to look deeper into Bitcoin, because you're right, almost everywhere in the world, the, the thing that draws people into Bitcoin and crypto more broadly is the potential to make money off of it and and essentially increase their fiat stack but then a small minority get get really into bitcoin um, beyond just the uh investment opportunities in your case are there uh particular experiences in your background or uh personality traits that you think uh drove you towards bitcoin specifically yeah it's a great question um Back to what we we're talking about with Australia and it's kind of living in a glass house. I think uh, a lot of people think the dollar is strong and we're okay and we're immune to all that sort of stuff. The GFC happened in 2008 and we were largely unaffected by it. So, you know, everyone's living in this fantasy world that property prices will continue to go up forever. And as long as we invest in property and live the Australian dream that, you know, we're immune to all the other stuff happening in so-called third world countries. Um, no, that's going to happen here as well. It's just a matter of time. Might be 10 years, might be 50 years, might be 100 years. Who knows? But it's going to happen. Every single fiat currency in human history has ended up at zero. I don't see how we could possibly think that, oh, no, but here we are in 2024 and the US dollar is the exception to that. There's literally been thousands and you're thinking now that the US dollar is the, no, it's just, it's not possible in my mind. So it's coming and, you know, people aren't really prepared for it. What I think made me perhaps like it starts back a long time. I think growing up, I was a bit more of a punk, a bit more of a conspiracy nut. Um, you know, I always was a little bit left of center with my thoughts and the way that I saw the world. And so I think it was just a matter of time before Bitcoin came across my radar. I was predisposed to, to that kind of line of thinking, always questioning, always wondering, like never taking anything at face value, always being inquisitive about things where, you know, the large majority of humans are just simply in their own lane, part of the rat race, don't really care about what's happening outside of you know, their immediate view, uh, whereas I was not like that whatsoever. And I think that's perhaps one of the personality traits that might have people, might lead people down this path of diving a bit deeper. The reality is you can't cheat the work. You have to put in the work in terms of Bitcoin. And it's one of the fundamental properties of Bitcoin is proof of work. And I think to understand it and to get to this level, and I'm not saying that I am some sort of, you know, Einstein or anything like that. I'm, I'm definitely not. And I'm the first to say I'm not a Bitcoin expert, even though I've done probably hundreds of thousands of hours of research into Bitcoin since 2011. Um, I'm still learning. There's still so much more that I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think uh, growing up being a little bit alternative, a bit punky, like I was in a heavy metal band when I was younger and I was very much, you know, rage against the machine, fuck the system, all that sort yeah. of stuff. So like 
once I did the work, then those two worlds sort of collided in the sense that I understand Bitcoin, I understand it's the deeper properties and, and the ramifications of, you know, if this thing does become widely adopted, what it could do. Um, I think I'm also blessed in the sense that I don't have any, um, you know, existing pre misconceptions in the sense that I don't have a background in economy or finance or some other fiat type thing that's, you know, putting blinkers on. Uh, I can mm. see the world clearly. I can do the research clearly. I can be inquisitive, whereas someone who perhaps has 10 years and a PhD in um, traditional Keynesian economics and finance, you know, is they've got a lot to unlearn. And, you know, humans struggle being humble. And Bitcoin is very much a humbling experience. And so these people that have all those uh all that information that they've absorbed that's in my opinion wrong um you know their ego gets in their own way of being able to go okay maybe bitcoin is different and this is why it has you know uh certain properties that maybe fiat doesn't have they're very much kind of blinded by their own education in that sense it's hard because you set out to learn more about some topic. Maybe you're interested in it, so you choose to major in it in college, or you pursue a PhD. But then along the way, you you also uh, you're kind of doubling down on your investment. There's the there's the sunk cost where if it turns out that uh, that uh, a lot of what you learned was wrong, then uh, just by by virtue of having put so much time into it, it's hard to it's hard to uh, admit that or uh, or change your opinion, especially if you've very publicly uh, stated your opinion one way in the past. I uh, I tend to think, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. You say Bitcoin humbles everyone. I, I, I totally agree. I think it'll probably keep humbling Bitcoiners as well because we see these different uh, narratives emerge over time. Um, there'll be a period where it's it's seen as, uh, digital cash and then digital gold. Um, some people see it as a as a platform to build on. Others see it uh, purely as a money. It seems like it'll keep on surprising us. Uh, I, I tend to think we're only scratching the surface of of potentially what it'll be, and uh, certainly what what impact it'll have on the world. Yeah, I don't disagree at all, and that's why I'm quick to say I'm not an expert, even though I you know I perhaps know it more than the average folk um i i still don't quite understand it and it's moving faster than i can probably keep up with it and and that's good like i and it's it keeps it exciting it keeps me learning it keeps me humble um but yeah i'm I'm excited to be part of the journey i think it's perhaps one of the most important things certainly most important thing in my lifetime but i'm you know i genuinely believe it's perhaps more impactful and more important than the internet and that's not to understate how impactful and important the internet has been to you know, humanity and the evolution of humanity. I think Bitcoin, you know, the internet is the digitalization of information, which is crazy. It's the the reason why we're being able to jump on a voice call here and a video call and, and talk to each other instead of having to write yeah. a letter and wait four weeks for it to come on a boat. Um, you know, digital digitalization of information has been hugely revolutionizing for, for all humans. Um, that's not to say that Bitcoin is going to digitalize value. And I think that is... Well, I don't even think I am capable of understanding the ramifications of that. I've thought about it a lot, but I think it's even beyond my level of understanding and scope because we've never had that before. And we're, we're very much moving into an area that perhaps didn't even exist or wasn't even in people's consciousness, uh, you know, a decade or two decades ago. So I'm 
very, very excited to see where that leads us, hopefully to a better place. Um, if not, then I don't really know what the other solutions are in terms of um, improving money and improving value. Um, you know, I'm certainly not interested in CBDCs or fiat or, or anything of that nature. And mm. so, yeah, all the eggs are in very much in the Bitcoin basket until something proves me otherwise that it, there's a better option. I want to ask about your experience uh, joining Bitcoin businesses, but also starting your own Bitcoin business, because even among the group of people who are into Bitcoin, passionate about Bitcoin, believe that it's a, a world changing development, um, not everyone pursues a career in Bitcoin. And I think it can be hard. To, I mean, it, it can feel risky. Uh, and it can be hard to just conceive of um, what the need would be or, or how that would look like. So how how were you thinking about uh, about uh, starting a Bitcoin business before before you actually did that? And uh, and what lessons have you learned from it? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I've done a lot of thinking about this. Um, actually, the first business I ever started was a Bitcoin business, which was CoinStop, oh, wow. the hardware wallet reselling company so i really have no business experience um, other than you know i wouldn't say any official sort of stuff um prior to that so i was very much a, a novice a beginner when i started my entrepreneurship journey in 2016. so i'm i'm a learn on the fly learn by mistakes um kind of guy um I, again perhaps a blessing in disguise that i dropped out of university and didn't get too in, introductionated in in that whole nonsense is that i was able to hmm figure this out with a clean slate. Whereas if I had an MBA, then maybe I'd have some weird premise conceptions about how business works. Whereas I've just gone into the deep end and gone, all right, let's figure out how to swim. Um, but my recipe is simple. Um, I think this is a, a very simple recipe for businesses, whether it's Bitcoin or non-Bitcoin, is find a gap in the marketplace. Obviously, you need to be able to service something. Um, but more importantly, a, a, a gap in the marketplace that is something you're looking for personally. So, you know, for me, if we use CoinStop, the first example of a business I started, um, there wasn't anywhere to buy hardware wallets in the country in Australia in 2016. There really wasn't even that many manufacturers. It was effectively mm. Ledger and Trezor at that time. Um, and to get them, you had to buy them from overseas. You had to wait a few weeks. You paid in euro. It, it was a, it was a terrible experience. Obviously, you know, um, logistics and uh, ship supply chains were just not that robust as what they are today with Amazon and all different resellers around the world. And so that was the gap. I was looking to solve a problem of my own. How do I store my Bitcoin in a secure fashion? There wasn't a, an available solution to the market. I built it. It's not really rocket science, but I think it incentivizes your efforts because you're trying to solve a problem of your own. And also, I think it's it's a it's a it's a nice data point to say. Well, look, I'm not that unique. I'm not some sort of, you know, special character in this whole world of eight billion people that my problems aren't the same as other people's problems. And so, right. you know, it was obviously validated within a few months that, hey, I'm not the only person seeking a hardware wallet in the country. You know, we started selling wallets and they started selling like hotcakes. And then there you go. Now you've solved your problem and others share that same problem of yours. So that's that's really my my bread and butter template. And I take that template everywhere. Same with Bitcoin Alive. There wasn't a Bitcoin only conference in the country. I had to travel to North America, Europe, Central America, other places in the world to be able to get my fix in terms of Bitcoin conferences. And I'm very glad I've got that opportunity to do that. But not everyone does. You know, most people don't work from home, aren't entrepreneurs, don't have the luxury of being able to travel multiple times a year. 
mm. be it because they have fiat jobs or they have families or they don't have the funds to be able to um, pay for that sort of stuff. And so again, trying to solve a problem of my own, want to go to a Bitcoin conference, don't want to have to jump on a plane for 20 hours. There must be a bunch of other people in Australia that also have that same problem. And so here we are. We built Bitcoin Alive and turns out hundreds of other people also share that same problem. So again, it's not rocket science. It's, it, you know, I'm not, not writing a book about it or <laughs> I'm not some sort of inspirational talker, but it, it's, it's pretty standard. I think it just incentivizes and aligns everyone's um, efforts by trying to solve your own problem. You know, you've obviously got the motivation to do that. You're not just going in there like, oh, I saw someone else's business and they're making heaps of money. Maybe I can just copycat that business. Like you know, your motives are different in that scenario. Your motives are to make money and to to just do what the other people have done. And you need to have some sort of uh, differentiating value proposition compared to them, be it price, service, offering, whatever that might be. Whereas if you find a gap in the marketplace that isn't being services, serviced by someone and it's a problem you have, then you're often first mover as well, which is a, a nice advantage to have in business. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my template. Uh, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, I think that's hugely a valuable insight. Uh, one thing I've found, I, I haven't launched a business, but just um, trying to put out podcasts and uh, put out some writing is that uh, there are lots of platforms that do it the conventional way, like like take Substack, uh, you can have paid subscribers who who pay by credit card, but then there's there's the Bitcoin way of doing it, where I could put a QR code on my posts and people could uh, send tips for for the post or through Fountain they can they can uh, stream Sats while they listen to the podcast. They can earn Sats while listening to the podcast, um, and uh, those ways are they feel much cooler and um, they're global, Agreed. permissionless. Like you feel. You feel the benefits of Bitcoin immediately, but it does take that, like you do have to be looking for those opportunities because it is easy to just slip into the conventional business models. So are there, are there areas where you've intentionally done things the Bitcoin way, maybe it's accepting Bitcoin payments or, or something else, uh, which maybe it was kind of counterintuitive, um, but you, you chose to lead by example rather than um, just doing things the way they'd always been done? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I probably can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head, but um, I definitely feel like that's in my line of thinking when I'm making decisions in terms of business stuff is I'm thinking like, and that again, that comes back to my point I made earlier in the sense that I don't have an MBA. I don't have any business experience that's holding me back or, or drawing me back to what the average population would do in this particular scenario. Because I have a clean slate of thinking, and I'm a bit crazy like that, I can kind of look at it very holistically and say, okay, well, you know, what's something different that we can do here that perhaps hasn't been done before or, you know, uh, embeds Bitcoin into the, into the experience, you know, from simply just even holding a Bitcoin treasury in my businesses as well. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of the times I'm actually having to put the foot down pretty hard with other partners in terms of being able to do this, obviously don't, want to do something that other directors or other partners aren't comfortable with, but having to remind them why we're doing this, even here at Bitcoin Alive, um, you know, we had a little bit of a Bitcoin treasury left over from last year's event. And, you know, I had to kind of convince the other partners that, hey, I think we should keep that Bitcoin treasury there and not, not you know, um, remove that back into fiat. And, you know, just I think the last 24 hours, you know, someone took a snapshot of that Bitcoin that that we'd been holding over the last 12 months and said, oh, it's doing pretty well. I said, 
this is why I, I kicked up such a big stink nine months ago yeah. when we were thinking about liquidating that Bitcoin. Um, I don't even check the price. So that's actually one of the things, uh, one of the little weird tidbits about me is I haven't checked the price of Bitcoin for like 780 days or something since January 1st, oh, wow. 2021. Um, so like, it's just not an interesting metric to me. I don't think it's noisy. Like I know a lot of people, again, come here for number go up, but you know, I've kind of evolved beyond that. And I think irrespective of what I, whether I look at the price of Bitcoin or not, it's going to do what it's going to do. And my conviction level is so high that I think it's just going to absorb absolutely everything. So what's it matter if the price today is 30,000 or 32,000 or 42,000 or whatever the number is? Um, it, it, it honestly doesn't change my behavior. Um, so for me, it's just a distraction. So I've removed that distraction from my life and it allows me to focus on the bigger mission, which again, like I alluded to earlier, is the separation of money from state. So uh, yeah, I hope that kind of answers the question. I couldn't think of any specific examples, um, but yeah, I, I definitely try to put the Bitcoin lens on when I'm thinking about decision-making, whether it's treasury related or, or anything. Like that's the beauty of this space as well. It's very innovative. So you can do things differently. Actually, I've just got another example. Um, yeah. You know, the classic, the classic reseller model um, that's been tried and tested for God knows how many years. You know, you find a manufacturer, you buy X amount of those devices or whatever they're selling in bulk, and then you get some sort of tiered discount depending on how much you buy. You know, zero to 10 mm -hmm. units is this price, 20 to 11 to 50 units is this price, 51 to 100, and so on. Um, I don't like that model. I think that model stinks. I don't think that model aligns incentives. From the manufacturer's perspective, they get paid immediately, which is good for them, of course. From the reseller's perspective, they have to delay that payment. That means the risk is totally on the reseller to be able to then go out and recoup that money for the products that they purchased in bulk. You know, right. the manufacturer's washing their hands and saying, you know, thanks for your product. If you don't sell that product, like the chances of you returning back to that manufacturer to buy another box is almost zero. <sighs> And so I don't like that model. So I came up with a new model, which is a distribution type model or a consignment type model. Again, it's not like totally revolutionizing. Lots of people have done this before, but a lot of people in the reseller manufacturing space don't really like this model. And I don't understand why. I think it aligns incentives perfectly. No one gets paid until everyone wins. So when a product gets sold, the customer gets their product. When the product gets sold, the manufacturer gets their cut. And when the product gets sold, the reseller gets their cut. Everyone's winning at the same time. There's no misalignment of incentives. Everyone's running for the same for the same goal. And I like that. It all comes with a host of other benefits as well. But this is one of the things that I plugged into, into CoinStop because I saw, like we learned from, like I said earlier, I like to learn by, by trial and error. We got caught out big time in the 2018 bull market. When that ended, we, you know, we were selling wallets like they were bloody it was water and it was the, you know, everyone was dying of thirst. People yeah. were lining up everywhere to buy a wallet. And then when the price of Bitcoin completely fell out of the sky, this is when you know, 2018, early 2018, when it was at 20,000, then it went, see you later, you know, bear market mm -hmm. for the next four years. We had all these products on back order, thousands of wallets. And by the time they arrived, there were no customers. And so we got stuck with all this inventory, all of our mm -hmm. capital tied up in inventory on products that we couldn't sell. It took us the next two and a half years to sell those products to get to get our capital back. And the prices of that product changed. They went lower. So we paid it at a higher price and we, you know, our margins got squeezed. And so on the back of that, I said, well, we can't do that again. And this was for the biggest hardware wallet brand in the world. So it's not like we, you know, we stocked a, a no-name brand that went to fuck. This is the, the product that sells the most 
in the world. Right. And so, yeah, that was one of the learning experiences that I had was just like, all right, well, we can't have that again because we got stuffed. And the, and the company that sold us the products, they didn't give a shit. They got their quarter of a million dollars when we bought the big bulk. And then we were left with, you know, holding the bags. So, yeah, that was where I was like, all right, put the thinking cap on. How can we solve this product? How can we realign everyone's incentives? And so this was the idea I came up with, with help from others, of course, as well, and looking mm -hmm. at, you know, other examples. But yeah, that's another example I think that comes to mind where, you know, thought about it a little differently compared to what everyone else was doing. It must have been hard to convince manufacturers to, uh, to change their model. Yeah, the ones that get it, they get it. The ones that don't, sadly don't. And hmm. what ends up happening, I'm, I'm a big believer in natural selection. So we just stop stocking those products. Uh, you know, I, I want to have every every Hardwell brand on, on Coinstop. I want there to be options for, for consumers. But at the end of the day, like we're not a massive company. We're not a massive market where, you know, we don't have a huge treasury. We don't have... 500 million people to sell wallets to we've only got 26 million people in the country and not everyone's interested in cryptocurrencies so you know it's a small market and if i bought a box of 100 100 different brands and i bought a box of 100 of each of those i'd have no money i'd be mm. bankrupt before i could even say the word bankrupt and so what ends up happening is i you know we stock the brands that understand the value that want to penetrate the market that want the insights that understand the in aligned incentives and the rest you know, they go and do their own thing. Good luck to them. I want to get into Bitcoin Alive, but uh, just one more question before we talk about the conference. Sure. Uh, a few months ago, I was talking with Daniel from Wallet of Satoshi at uh, the Nostrasia yep. conference in, in Tokyo. Uh, I think yep. uh, they're, they're based in Australia. And he was saying that uh, regulations are getting a bit tighter for Bitcoin businesses, I suppose, especially in his case, uh, where money transmitter laws are, are coming in and it's becoming harder to offer a service where you're custodying people's Bitcoin for them. Um, have you found yep. that to be the case? And what, what challenges is that uh, presenting? Yeah, I mean, well, they had to remove themselves from the US market um, based on the, the different regulations in that, in that jurisdiction, which would suck yeah. because, you know, America has 350 odd million people and that's a huge market. And to not be able to service that is is that sucks. So you know, I feel yeah. I feel for them. Um, I respect the decision for them to just stick the finger up and say, "Well, we're not bending the knee." Um, your 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 population is simply not going to get the benefits of the service or the product that we offer. Um, in terms of the things that I do, like I stay away from a lot of that stuff. So you know, we're not involved with selling Bitcoin or buying Bitcoin. Um, you know, we're not a custodial service. We sell hardware wallets. It's just a genuine e-commerce product. Same with Bitcoin mm -hmm. Alive. It's it's an event. Like you know, we're not we're not facilitating any sort of financial transactions. So um, generally, we're totally off that radar. Other than the fact that we're involved with Bitcoin, of course. And you know, there's always someone with a pickaxe and a fork trying to um, have a go at anything related to Bitcoin. Uh, but that's slowly changing as well. Like people are starting to understand it. ETFs are now being approved, so it's being a little bit more, um, reg there's more regulation and more certainty around the asset class. Um, but yeah, I have, thankfully haven't had too many issues. I, here in Australia, one of the big problems is debanking. Um, so, you know, you say the word cryptocurrency, you say the word Bitcoin in your business, and effectively um, you get debanked, just oh, they wow. don't like you. They put in capital control laws recently, well, not laws, but capital control from the banks themselves. So 
a lot of the, the major banks, including Australia's largest bank, um, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, basically said, you're only allowed to send $10,000 a month to cryptocurrency exchanges in order to purchase wow. and trade cryptocurrencies. Um, if you go over that, ten, like, they'll just block your transaction once you've, once you've hit that threshold and then you have to wait till the following month for it to reset. So, you know, we're seeing all this stuff and it's not, nothing's new, like this is happening in other places as well. Um, it's making it very difficult for those businesses that do deal with finances and Bitcoin um, to operate because, you know, they're having to move to different jurisdictions, open up multiple bank accounts or different redundancy plans in order just to stay operating. Um, but yeah, thankfully for the things that I'm involved with, and this is partially intentional as well, because I know there's so much difficulty in those products and services um, that mm. I just generally stay away from it because I just don't want the headache. In the US, we're seeing some politicians, some leaders embracing Bitcoin. And I think that's a that's a benefit of the state system where you kind of have competition of different jurisdictions within within the US. So if, if there's some benefit to be had, then uh, if one state's outlawing it, then another state will embrace it. Um, are there yep. uh, people in, in leadership positions in, in political power in, in Australia that are uh, saying anything positive about Bitcoin? Oh, no, I mean, they don't even know the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. So it's right. very, very early on. I think Sadly, Australia is very much down the blockchain, cryptocurrency, Web3, you know, all that crap train. Um, so yeah. you know, there's a bunch of different organizations that are trying to uh, cheerlead to the government to tell them, hey, you know, we've got to adopt blockchain. It's the next Internet and it's going to revolutionize the world. And so there's all these um, all these people trying to convince the government to spend more money and do more research. And they have like they've allocated budgets from the federal budget to blockchain research and they tried to put the um, Australian stock exchange on a blockchain all of these things have failed I could have told them that and they could have just saved all that money or paid me a small commission <laughs> to tell them that don't bother with this idea because it's going to fail but you know again they've got to learn the hard way it's a government they're slow moving they're largely run by idiots so um, you know it is what it is um, yeah sadly there's, there's not really any any politician or anyone in in a, in a policymaker or leadership role in the country that I'm aware of that's talking about Bitcoin. Um, there's a couple of people talking about crypto and blockchain. Again, they're just being paid and cheerleaded by those organizations that have an incentive um, mm. to do that. But yeah, we've, we've got one, we've got uh, this organization called the Australian Bitcoin Industry Body. That's probably mm. like the best voice that we have in terms of connecting, you know, the Bitcoiners to the policymakers. But even they have a very difficult. Like I'm a member of of, of that in, uh, of that body, and um, it's we have a lot of difficulty even getting in the room because these other people have co-opted the government into thinking Web three is the future, and we're going to blockchain this, and we're going to blockchain that, and there are lots of mm. different experiments with different banks in Australia in terms of CBDCs. So Commonwealth Bank, the bank I mentioned before, Australia's largest bank, they've been doing pilot projects. ANZ, another large bank, have been doing pilot projects with CBDCs. You know, again, I could just tell them now if they're listening to this podcast, they're all going to fail. Um, but you know, let them waste their money and taxpayers' money figuring it out themselves, I guess. Um, mm. Yeah, it, sadly, we've got a lot of work to do to undo all of the stupidity that's come into the into the dialogue. Um, you know, again, that's part of the reason why we exist as well is to, you know, help help dilute 
that messaging from the rest of the conferences and events that that are talking about oh Stella's this and Solana's that and whatever whoever the flavor of the month is that week um you know we're, we're trying to do our bit in saying like well he's actually where the signal is the signal is bitcoin um come join us here for high level high level conversations and high level critical thinking um we're going to take away all the empty promises of changing the world and getting everyone rich and you know whatever that might be that all these other crappy projects love love to promise and and don't deliver on um you know bitcoin's been here for 15 years thereabouts and you know it's going to be here in 1500 years i think as well as long as there's you know, humans on earth still kicking um i you know at this point i think it's almost guaranteed that nothing can really stop bitcoin uh perhaps other than like a nuke that ends the whole world and you know we've got bigger problems if that comes along but yeah it's it's really disheartening because you know we put a lot of effort and there's a lot of great minds here in australia holding up the bitcoin banner um but it, it almost feels like sometimes we're going backwards because there's just more numbers on the other front um and you know they're very noisy and they're very vocal and you know they're very motivated because you know they're paid or whatever whereas you know i'm not being paid by bitcoin <laughs> uh not directly at least in in the sense that you know there's a company behind them saying like you know we'll give you a commission if you can do all this actually like that's just not how bitcoin works um whereas you know yeah. all these other organizations and foundations and projects that have treasuries that can just pay people to go and cheerlead and and um you know go and convince the government that yeah this is the next blockchain of the future and whatever so it's it's a struggle but i, I i'm a big believer in natural natural selection that's how humans got here today and that's how we'll continue to evolve over the future i think the same thing's going to happen with all this stuff is like bitcoin's just going to keep doing its thing tiktok next block all these things are going to promise the world under deliver blow up there'll be a new iteration of it but eventually at some point you know the whole thing will die um and what will be left standing is bitcoin and you know whatever else has been built on top of it yeah and along with that the conference uh should grow as well and at a certain point uh yeah the the leaders will be forced to to pay attention and uh probably at some point you'll you'll have the politicians begging to uh to speak at the conference rather than uh rather than having to to reach out to them they're very much welcome they're very much, like i said the bitcoin live is for everyone bitcoin is for everyone so we want everyone to come along and and learn why we're all mad about this thing and and you know we might look psychotic from the outside but you know we've done the work we understand it you I know mean, generally most bitcoiners are very nice people and they're very welcoming of course there's the crazies and the hardcore maxis that are you know very black and white but you know like every every community there's crazies and there's people who are black and white and there's more you know chilled people um but you know bitcoin is for everyone we welcome all the politicians to come along and and learn a, learn a thing or two about how the economy works and how bitcoin works but you know again um some people aren't ready to have their ego removed and to be humbled and so you know each in their own time will be here with open arms welcoming everyone when they're ready like for instance we had um a, a journalist from the AFR the Australian Financial Review we're a big publication here in Australia talking mm. about financial things come last year and he reached out to us and said oh can I get a media pass ticket come along I might write some articles here yeah, sure happy to come along you know you're welcome um and the first question was oh is you know can we get someone on stage to like hold up a Australian dollar bill and like light it on fire uh, and i'm like <laughs> look i like that's not what we do like it's it's not it's not like a circus it's not like a show like 
we're here to have genuine conversations and to raise the intellect of all of the attendees. We're not here for a mm. puff piece where someone's burning a dollar bill and you can take a photo and write an article of it. And so, you know, he asked multiple times, can that happen? I said, that's not going to happen. Like, you know, you're going to put up the money for it to be burnt. Like, like we, we all believe the money is useless and we would happily burn it, but we're not, it's not like a circus. Like I said, we're, there's a lot more substance involved with Bitcoin than, than headlines like that. And then he's like, all right, well, what about like, will someone bring their Lambo? Can I take a photo of someone's Lambo? Like in the car, I'm like, come, like, this is not what Bitcoiners are like. Um, you know, the, the conversation that we're in the, in the thing that we're trying to create here with Bitcoin Live is, is of more substance than simply burning dollar bills and driving up in our Lambos and talking about how we're all rich and, you know, come to my Citadel this, come to my that. Like, you know, we want to actually deliver something of value to people beyond the, the promises. Um, so, you know, he got a stark reminder when he attended and it was like a professional conference with you know, mm. business people, with entrepreneurs, with all sorts of people, um, doctors. Like, so we ended up writing a really nice article about one of one of oh, the okay. doctors that came along and, and spoke at Bitcoin Alive. He was a um, gastro, I think he was a gastrointestinal, like a colon surgeon um, at one of the really big um, hospitals in Adelaide, the Royal uh, Adelaide Hospital. And he came along and basically did a presentation on how like uh, Bitcoin and medicine and doctors kind of can can mend, so to speak, or, you know, it was really, really fascinating. He ended up writing a hmm. pretty nice article on that and was kind of blown away by the fact that, hey, like, it's not just grungy punks and drug dealers and people who want to, you know, skirt the system or whatever at these events. It's actually genuine professionals looking at Bitcoin in a genuine way to adopt it into their professions. And so, yeah, hopefully got a little bit humbled and learned a thing or two. And, and, you know, he's welcome back again this year if he wants to come along. But, you know, we're not burning dollar bills and we're not, you know, driving around our fancy cars or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, last year was the first year. Uh, did it uh, line up with your expectations going into it? Yeah. I mean, you always, always, you know, venturing into the unknown when you when you start something that hasn't been done before. I think the reality of it is it was long overdue. Um, you could ask almost any Bitcoiner that's been around for a few years in the country that it was going to happen and it, it's been talked about many times. But when push comes to shove, it's never eventuated. And I, you know, I understand why firsthand, why it hasn't eventuated. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of capital involved, um, lots of unknowns and, and a hell of a lot of work. Um, and so, you know, for one of those reasons or maybe multiple of those reasons, it just never came. Um, but yeah, someone had to eventually just go, well, you know, stuff it, I'm going to make it happen. And here we are, you know, myself and Dylan and Jess got together and basically said, well, if, if no one else is going to do it, we'll do it. And, you know, I'm sure everyone will get behind us and, and everyone did. And, you know, we're very appreciative for all the help and all the support that's come along the way and still to come. We can't do it without all of the people. And there's too many names to name, but everyone knows who they are, who's, who's assisted from attendees to sponsors, to speakers, to everyone in between. Um, the, the Bitcoin community is a great community. They, they see value and they support value where it, where it should be supported. And if it wasn't me running this conference, I'd be doing the same. I'd be on the other end saying, what can you do? How can I help? You know, I don't want anything from it. I just understand the grander vision that this is important. We need to be having these conversations in the country to drown out those things that I was mentioning earlier with the blockchain and crypto events. Um, but yeah, like expectations were a little unknown because we didn't know what would what would eventuate. And given we only had four months to put it on, it's pretty damn risky mm. already. And that adds another element of risk. 
Um, but yeah, we delivered what I think is a really, really world-class conference. It's not on the scale of, you know, in terms of attendees as some of the other conferences that I visited and gone to around the world. But again, year one, you've got to be modest about where you can start and maybe in a few years time, we'll end up somewhere vastly different. But yeah, very, very happy with how it went. The feedback was overwhelmingly positive. Um, yeah, like honestly, almost nothing went wrong, um, which is crazy because like, for instance, we had two minute changeovers on the main stage, um, yeah. which is crazy like two minutes is not a lot of time at all to take off some speakers reintroduce the next speakers get them like nothing went off time like every single mm. session ran on time i don't think i've ever been to a conference where they've had 10 minutes between sessions and they haven't been late um that kind of goes no. to show that bitcoin is a pretty competent bunch and i think the team that we've compiled here at bitcoin live is is of that of that nature as well and like I said, all the support that we've had along the way, the speakers, like they're an absolute pleasure to work with. Um, you know, I, I don't think I could ever not work with Bitcoiners again because they're just, when I work with normies, I just get disappointed because they're just not at the same caliber. They don't have the same level of understanding, the same level of um, intellect, you know, everything in between. It just makes everything a lot more difficult. So, you know, working with Bitcoiners is, is like a fresher breath air, um, just getting to be able to you know, do things in a competent fashion. So yeah, very pleased with how it went. Um, you know, it, it's the same every year. Like, you know, you know, you've delivered something that was pretty good last year, but you know, you, you don't want to rest on that. So you want to increase the value, make it better, bigger, better. And then there's the whole like, shit, are we going to be able to do it? Is it going to work? Are people going to be happy? So there's always anxiety involved with doing these things, but yeah, I'm confident. I, I, I you know, I believe in our team. I believe in in, in the long-term value of Bitcoin. So we just got to stick around, keep putting in the work and, and the rest will take care of itself. We're seeing more and more Bitcoin focused conferences pop up in, uh, in this oh, yeah. region, which is uh, oh, yeah. really exciting. Um, yep. I, uh, I kind of, I think th there are a few different things that conferences can accomplish. Um, for example, it can be an opportunity to uh, explain the idea to newcomers, but it can also uh, just be encouragement for the the uh, people who are already Bitcoiners in the in that area. Maybe they uh, don't have much interaction with other Bitcoiners. Maybe they're not close to a, a meetup, or maybe they 100%. have their local meetup, but uh, but they they didn't realize just how many uh, people are into Bitcoin in in their country. Um, do you do you tend to focus on uh, one of those more than the other, like uh, targeting it for newcomers or uh, uh, more for people who are already uh, plugged in? Yeah, well, like I said earlier, like Bitcoin Live is very much an open door to everyone. Um, the reality of it is the majority of the attendees will be incumbent Bitcoiners because they're again, mm. they're looking for a community, they're looking for a place to hang out with people. Again. One of the beautiful things about Australia being so big and isolated is the fact that we can lean into the fact that it's difficult to make those connections. And so here we are, we're bringing everyone together. You know, you're not alone. You're not some random person stuck in some regional country town where if you talk to anyone about Bitcoin in your local area, that they think you're absolutely crazy. There are thousands of us uh, out there spread across the country. So come along to Bitcoin Alive and, and, and meet your crew, meet your tribe. Um, but uh, yeah, like we, we we want to try to grow this space as well. Like it's always good to get together with other hardcore Bitcoiners and talk about Bitcoin. I can do that all day, every day. 
but we want to grow this thing as well and show other people why we're so fascinated by it. So, you know, we, we make intentional decisions when putting, say, the program together, for instance, to make sure that, you know, we're trying to appease as many people as possible. You know, the technical folk, the macro folk, the mining folk, the newcomers, the beginners, and everyone in between. I think the reality of it is the hardcore Bitcoiners, they've done the work. They listen to the podcasts. They read the the articles on a daily basis. There really isn't that much that they don't know about already. So what the value for them is, is actually just getting together and shaking hands, sharing a beer, having a laugh, looking someone in the eyes and, and having a conversation. You don't get to do that very often. Even a Zoom call is not really the same because you know, you, you're not there in the flesh. So for, you know, for 70% of the attendees, I think it's probably just, it's an excuse to get together, share a beer, have a laugh and enjoy, enjoy your weekend um, with like-minded people. For the other portion, yeah. you know, they're there for a number of other reasons. They're beginners and they're trying to understand this thing. And so, you know, we've got content geared specifically towards those people um, because we know that's what they're there for. Of course, they'll make friends and they'll meet people, but they want to they want to upskill their learning journey, right? And so we need to make sure that we, you know, whilst I don't need to understand Bitcoin mining 101 because I understood that years ago, um, lots of people don't get that yet. And, you know, being a halving year, we can lean a bit more into that as well because that's a hot topic. And, you know, what's a halving? Tell me how that works. What's a difficulty adjustment? So there's so much content that, you know, you and I probably, we could, you know, spit this out in the back of our hands. But for a lot of people, they're at the earlier stages of their journey that, and, you know, what took me probably three years to understand that because there was so little information and so little thought leaders on the topic. Now we have, God, so many people who are experts, even beyond my level of understanding, that can talk about these topics, break them down in an easy, consumable way for these newcomers. And so it's like, you know, I wish there was a Bitcoin Alive or something like that in the country six years ago when I was trying to figure out what a public key was. And it took me like two weeks to figure out what a public key was, reading like random yeah. forums and like trying to like, watch YouTube videos, it was like one guy on it or something like, you know, the, the the amount of information that's available now on the topic is so much more than what it was just even, you know, a few years ago. And the same will be this, it'll be the same in a few years time as well. There'll be even more people who understand Bitcoin, who can deliver the messaging in a different way that connects with different people. So um, yeah, like those are some of the things that we, we think about when we try to put this event on to, to make sure that we're enticing a whole host of different people to to come along to the event let's talk specifics like uh dates how many stages uh other side events that are happening at the same time uh what should people look forward to yeah sure happy to go into the specifics so we, we're trying to kind of coin this term about bitcoin week um so we're, we're really blessed here in australia that we do have lots of bitcoiners and lots of different bitcoin events obviously bitcoin alive is the big masterpiece showcase once a year event but there are local meetups there are i don't know if you've heard of a thing called the bitcoin bush bash um but that's like another little okay it's it's really cool um it's basically happens three times a year in the uh in the three east coast states so um uh, victoria uh, new south wales and queensland where you know more or less the majority of the population lives um mm -hmm. And basically, it's it's a very low key, like uh, I wouldn't call it a conference, but it's a get together where you know we go out to some regional town. So it's not in a major capital city. You know, you got to drive in a car for a few hours, or sometimes jump on a plane for a few hours, depending on where you are in the country, 
to come along to this thing. So there's an element of proof of work in getting there. It's a free event. It's just in a weekend. It's usually in like a community town hall or a pub or something like, like that. Um, and it's just a very relaxed place where you can hang out with Bitcoiners. And so this is actually happening the weekend before Bitcoin Alive. And so it's kicking off what we're now coining the term Bitcoin Week here in Australia, um, trying okay. to package it all up together. So for anyone that wants to like, you know, get the full experience in terms of what's to be experienced in Australia, if you come along for Bitcoin Week in Australia, you'll get it all. You'll meet everyone. You'll get all the different types of experiences. So starting off on the weekend before, I think it's the 16th, I think it's the Saturday of uh, March, you've got the Bush Bash, which will be the 16th and the 17th, Saturday, Sunday, rolling into Bitcoin Alive Week, which um, on the Thursday, um, I think that's the 22nd or 21st, um, the Thursday will be a Bitcoin Sydney meetup. So a monthly meetup that happens you know, every month. I'm actually going to the one tomorrow in Sydney. Um, uh, that'll be like a Bitcoin Alive special edition. So we did that last year as well. Um, so that's a really cool way to like meet some of the speakers who are in town a little earlier in a more intimate fashion. So it's, you know, it might only be about 100 people there, 60, 80, 100 people. It's a lot more intimate. You can have a beer, you can have a meal. It's a lot more chill, a lot more relaxed. Um, and that will then roll into Bitcoin Alive proper. So the Friday night this year, we've been announced, we've just recently announced actually just last week, um, although there's still a few bits of information to yet to be announced. Um, Bitcoin Live has kind of expanded to one and a half days, I guess you could say. So the Saturday, the 23rd of March is very much the full day, full blown conference that, you know, people who came last year expect something similar, but bigger and better. Um, but the Friday night before we've actually tacked on. And so this will be included with everyone's ticket, whether you've got a GA or a VIP ticket, you're, you're included in coming along to the Friday night event. And uh, what we're actually delivering this year is like more of a social night, a bit more relaxed, a bit, um, you know, not that full blown conference setting. And so what mm. we're putting together and we haven't announced everything, but um, I can announce a couple of things here. Um, so um, it's only like a four, four, five hour event. So just in the evening on the Friday night before Bitcoin Alive on the Saturday. Um, basically, we're, we're getting some live performances and a few other little bits and pieces. So we've got a internationally renowned comedian who's been traveling around the world doing comedy for the last couple of years. Um, he's coming along. He's actually a Bitcoiner. He's coming along and doing oh. a Bitcoin comedy set. So that should be super fun. So people can sit there, get their popcorn, get their drinks and, and, and watch someone talk about Michael Saylor jokes and who knows what he's <laughs> going to come up with. But, you know, all the stuff that we would find entertaining and funny. And that's something I haven't experienced before. So that's something a little bit different and a little bit, yeah. bit of a value add for the ticket holders. We've also got another Aussie guy who's down in Melbourne who's been, um, we haven't actually officially announced this, but for those who've got a keen eye, they would have seen he's actually on the website and stuff. But um, he's like a, content creator musician he does like hip-hop and like uh like rap stuff so he's made a bunch of different videos on his youtube channel talking about all different types of bitcoin related topics but like doing it with mm. music and hip-hop and rap um so he's doing a live sort of hip-hop set um on that friday night as well we also have a special something that i can't announce just yet because we haven't fully announced it but um there'll be another social fun type um, event on that night as well for, for people to experience. So you know, anyone coming along to Bitcoin Alive can come along on the Friday night before and kind of have a nice warm introduction to what's to come the following day. They can meet everyone, they can get their tickets, have some popcorn, watch some comedy, watch some music and this other thing that we haven't yet announced, which mm. is also really cool. Um, so yeah, trying to find different ways to engage people. Um, 
to provide extra value. Again, for those who have been to Bitcoin conferences, it's more or less copy paste. Like, you know, we've got a mining panel, we've got a macro panel, we've got someone talking about lightning, we've got someone, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's like for the hardcore Bitcoiners, they've heard all this before. They don't really need to repeat it. Like I said earlier, they're mostly coming along to shake hands, have a beer, hang out with people who are like-minded, which, you know, is of value as well. That's why I go to them. Um, But, you know, we're trying to give even those people something a little different. You know, it's not every day you go somewhere and and watch a Bitcoin comedy set or watch a Bitcoin hip hop artist doing some rap music about Bitcoin. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where our head was at this year was trying to find something a little different, trying to find some um, some extra, you know, key differentiators between us and any other Bitcoin conference in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure uh, the sponsors will be doing a, a whole host of their own side events as well. I uh, I didn't realize until I started going to conferences last year that, uh, that for a lot of people, it's it's more about the side events than the actual uh, the conference itself. Just so many, so many different things happening around the around that time period. Yeah, I mean, we've got a whole host of other ideas that we want to deliver as well. But the reality is we're three people and we don't have, you know, an, an endless amount of scope to be able to put on all these side events. So as it continues to grow, we'll continue to add more side events and all sorts of other stuff. And, you know, others do as well. Like last year, we had like a pleb pleb dinner. So on the Friday night before the event, we didn't have anything like we did this year. But, you know, a bunch of Bitcoiners, 40 or 50 Bitcoiners got together and went to like a Brazilian barbecue place and just had a, had a, fit, had a feed and then talked about Bitcoin and got excited for what was to come the following day. And I'm sure those things will happen again, like random uh, little impromptu after parties at the local Airbnb that someone has booked and <laughs> all these things pop up. Um, when you mentioned sponsors, that's actually perhaps like one of the most difficult things that we've had. We've had a little bit more success this year than last year, which I guess can just go hand in hand with the fact that, you know, we've delivered something and last year we had going from zero to one and now we're at one, we can go to two. So people know what to expect, but, you know, we've drawn a very, very hard stance in, in kind of our, principle or moral compass when it comes to Bitcoin Alive, like we're a Bitcoin only conference and that, you know, reverberates throughout the entirety of the event. Um, You know, when it comes to, you could say our inbox is like filled with different publications, crypto publications saying, oh, you know, we'll promote your event and just give us a backlink on your website or make us a media partner. You go to their website and it's like Dogecoin this, Solana that, Ethereum this, Ethereum that. And it's just like, you know, it's easy promotion for us, but it's just it's just stepping over that line and it's just not something mm. that we're comfortable with. And so, again, this goes the same with our sponsors as well. Like we're very particular about our sponsors. We want quality over quantity. I've been to so many different events, mostly the crypto ones, but also some of the Bitcoin ones, some of the bigger ones. And yeah, they've got 150 different sponsors. You look at their media wall and there's like so many goddamn logos slapped on there. And, you know, some of them are good, some of them are bad, but like, I can only imagine that like if I was one of those companies getting drowned out by 150 different other businesses, like no one's paying attention. Like you can't possibly absorb 150 different business names. And so the value there is gets diluted very quickly. Mm. Um, so we're, we're very intentional about how we run the event. It's very much a Bitcoin only event. Again, it's welcome to everyone, but the content's Bitcoin only. The exhibitors are Bitcoin only. The sponsors of Bitcoin only, the speakers, you know, it, it, it goes throughout the entire, it's part of our DNA. And so with that comes lots of challenges because there are not many Bitcoin only companies in Australia. I could probably count on 
one or two hands and have a spare few fingers in change in terms of how many Bitcoin only companies align with that like, with that messaging. And so it makes it really yeah. hard because we're trying to put on a world class conference and we need support from sponsors. You know, ticket sales drive some of our capital, but it's not everything. And we need sponsors, we need exhibitors. But if they don't pass that test, how do we get them on board? So, you know, that's a real big challenge. Um, it's easy for us to just say, oh, screw it. Let's just take money from the shitcoin casinos because we know that's who has the money because that's where the trading is. And that's, you know, what the majority of people are doing is trying to make money. Yeah. Um, but for us, it's just, it's just well, for me personally, like I I'm pretty sure the other founders of Bitcoin Live are also in, in, in agreement of this. But, you know, if they decide to go a different way, then I'll simply step aside. But for me, like I can't. I can't bring myself to do that. I can't bring myself to take money from someone that doesn't align with the messaging because that then just, you know, it goes through uh, the conference. Like suddenly we take money from some crypto publication and before you know it, they want to speak. And now they're talking about Ethereum or they're talking about blockchains, this or Web3, that. And it's just like, this isn't Bitcoin Alive anymore. The reason we made this was to be different from the other conferences. They can still coexist and they can have their own messaging. That's fine. but for us, you know, we've drawn a very, very tough stance on that. So, you know, we've only got five or so sponsors or five or so exhibitors um, hmm. you know, of them. They're, we, we think they're good quality, but, you know, we're not like the bigger conferences that can raise six figures, seven figures in terms of sponsorship value because they'll just take money from anyone and you know, it's pay to play. We're very particular about how we run that. And so that's how we differ ourselves. And, you know, some people might say, you're stupid. Why don't you just take the money? But yeah, uh, I'm very honest and open about the fact that, you know, we draw a hard stance on the fact that we're not willing to compromise on our morals, because if we do, then we're no better than the rest of them. It's a it's a tough choice, but uh, but an admirable position to take. I I was very unfamiliar with the conference business model until last year uh, when I realized that it, it really is all about sponsors for for almost all of these conferences, probably not just in in this industry, but but any kind of conference, you, the the sponsors are the ones who pay for it, and then, uh, yeah, and then you're able to to make the tickets relatively cheap. And in terms of the the conference organizers' balance sheet, the the sponsor revenue is much more significant than the ticket holder revenue. But then, of course, the the incentives point to appeasing the sponsors over the uh, the general attendees and. And what I realized with crypto is that uh, it's not just coincidental that uh, that you have terrible projects with with a ton of money. I think it's, I mean, maybe this is an exaggeration, but the ones with the biggest marketing budgets have that marketing budget because they have such a small engineering budget, for example. Like they're not offering anything new or or uh, sometimes or anything at they're all. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So any money that they bring in, they're just able to plow it straight into marketing, which means they can they can do huge sponsorships for these conferences and and have their names emblazoned right at the top. And which, unless you're really tuned into these things, it, it looks like okay, this is a this is a proper company that's offering a yeah. proper product and it's not going to completely rug me. And yet, in so many cases, that's what happens. So I I really admire you you taking a hard line on that um, because. Because yeah, you are turning away a lot of a lot of money by doing that, and I would imagine maybe have to charge ticket holders a higher price. But I, what I would want listeners to understand is that that results in 
an experience that is more geared towards the ticket holder rather rather than just appeasing the the sponsors. You probably articulated that better than I could. So yeah, you hit the nail on the head, mate. Like that's that's exactly all of the rationale that goes behind these decisions. You know, we could easily line our own pockets, but then at what cost? Um, you know, we put some shitcoin sponsor as the headline sponsor and they end up rugging everyone. You know, that's a poor reflection. You know, I learned about that from Bitcoin Alive and now I've lost my money. I'm not going back mm. to Bitcoin Alive. So whilst it's, you know, very high time preference to take that cash and put it in your pocket, that's just not how I operate. I'm a very low time preference guy. I, I'm not money driven, not because I'm exceptionally wealthy, but because my morals are more important than money. And I believe that if I keep my moral compass clean, money will just flow. Like I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, my conviction about Bitcoin is so strong that I just hang around this for the next 50 years and it does what I think it's going to do. Like I'm going to be looked after. I don't need to step on toes. I don't need to rug people. I don't need to scam people just to get a little bit ahead now. Like I'm willing to delay my gratification into the future in order to be able to bring more people onto the boat. And so, yeah, you're, you're spot on with basically every, everything you just said in terms of you know, that some of the, the thinking behind the decision making in terms of, you know, it, and we're trying to get this messaging across to everyone. Okay, yes, maybe our, our ticket prices are still pretty cheap. Like, you know, you go to Bitcoin Miami or something like that, you're looking at, like, let's just assume you're not having to jump on a plane and spend a few thousand dollars and, on accommodation and flights, but the ticket alone is like a thousand bucks Australian when you, when you come out in the wash for, for a general yeah. admission. You can get yeah. a VIP ticket and have change at Bitcoin Alive. Okay, yes, you're not going to be surrounded by 15,000 people and, you know, you're not going to have six different stages with, you know, a whole host of different things. But what you're going to get is you're going to get high quality and that's what you're paying for. You're paying, you're paying for us to effectively make sure that you don't get scammed, you don't get led to the, to, to the slaughter, that the speakers are of high quality, you know, of good intellect and their messaging is, is clear and clean. Um, you know, same with the sponsors. We're trying to get the messaging across, okay, our sponsorships, aren't at the same price point as others. You're not paying ten, fifteen thousand dollars for a sponsorship, again, because we're not a, co a conference that has 10,000 10, people there. But what you are getting is you're getting several hundreds of people who are you know, of high quality. These are much warmer leads than a crypto co conference where people are there because their mate told them to come along and maybe Dogecoin's going to the moon and Elon said yes. <laughs> like, you know, these people are not, they're not returning customers. They're not, they're not customers that you can retain over the course of years. Whereas people coming to Bitcoin Alive are much more in tune. They get it. You know, these these are the kind of people that you value as customers. So from a sponsor's perspective, like, you know, I think it's a no-brainer. But, you know, getting that message across and we're doing it a little different. Like, I, I don't know how many other conferences are doing it like this. Like, I think a lot of the, even some of the Bitcoin conferences are to some degree selling out. I'm not throwing shade. I'm, you know, I'm just saying, like, this is how we've drawn drawn up what we want to do and maybe it, what we're doing is wrong and you know we might end up crashing and burning and that's fine like someone's got to experiment this way and same with every other way of doing it um but yeah you, you're spot on with your assessment and i hope that messaging gets across to people and people understand like okay these guys are trying to do it a little bit differently they're very honest they're very open about how they're operating and hopefully they get to the position where they're like i want to support that absolutely yeah yeah, I think it's a it's a powerful message. Um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe that's a, a good place to start to wrap it up. But uh, for this coming year, whether it's uh, Bitcoin Alive or or outside of the conference, are there uh, any specific things that you're excited about, uh, hoping to see this year? 
yeah, obviously Bitcoin Alive is, is very much my world right now. We've got four or five weeks into the event, so it's just heads down and, you know, we, we're, we're pushing forward as hard as we can. Um, beyond that, I, I would like to take a little break, perhaps after mm-hmm. it. It's always nice to, to just take a bit of uh, air to, to come back up, but I, I keep myself busy, so I'll just be rolling through. Like the classic saying, you know, you, you find find what you love and you never work a day in your life. It's very much what it's like for me as cliche as that might sound um i work very hard but i also have a lot of fun and it doesn't feel like work because i love what i do um you know i'm blessed in that sense that i've i found that it never used to be that way um it was, you know i come from a background of manufacturing and, and heavy steel so i've worked in hot sweaty factories where it's very dangerous and you're working very long hours overnight and it's you know, i've come a long way um to get to the point where i am today and i'm very very grateful and i'm you know, I don't forget that that journey, but um, yeah, look, I look. I think it's going to be interesting with a halving year, of course. Um, mm. Again, I, I don't check the price, so the price is sort of an irrelevant metric to me. Um, I prefer to look at things like the hash rate, and I've just been seeing that absolutely explode all throughout the bear market and now even further. Um, so that's an interesting metric to me that suggests that this thing's going to continue to get bigger and more people are becoming interested in it. Um, but yeah, like you know, just constant learning, constant staying, staying uh, on top of the news, and and you know, being being nimble with wherever Bitcoin takes us, because it's a journey and it's a beast that's bigger than you and I. And um, you know, I just want to be a part of the ride wherever direction it goes. You've uh, you've challenged me. I, uh, I I I check the the price multiple times a day uh despite calling this podcast beyond the price and intentionally <laughs> trying to talk about everything but the price that there, there's probably no time of day that i'm that i that i couldn't guess the price within say a thousand dollars so uh yeah definitely uh wanna wanna head more in uh, in the direction you've taken because uh yeah there are definitely much more uh interesting and exciting Things about Bitcoin. Oh, look, besides, it, it's a lonely, it's a lonely, lonely hill that I stand on. <laughs> um, you know, I, I understand that it's a, it's a pretty outlandish position to take. Um, I, I actually opened the challenge up in 2021 to, to my, like, I'm not very popular on Twitter or, or famous in any regard, but I posted on my Twitter page, like, hey, would anyone like to see how long we could go without checking the price? I reckon I could do 12 months, maybe. And yeah, not a single person took me up on the offer. Um, no surprise. Again, I'm not that popular. I don't have that big of a following. But you know, I, I I kept going, and sort of the first few months, people like jokingly like this guy ain't serious. Like a few times, people would message me the price, and I'm like, look, I'm genuinely serious about doing this. Like, please refrain from sharing the price with me. You know, I've hmm. set up blocked words, and when I see a chart on Twitter, I quickly scroll past it. You, you come up with different ways of avoiding the price. Um, oh, wow. it's, it's now at the point, like over two years, where people now, like, I'll come into a, a meeting and they might be talking about price, like, oh, Chris is here, and people literally stop talking about the price because I've I've come into the room. So they've been very respectful about the fact that hey, I've made this this hard stance, and I think perhaps you know, even though it's crazy and they don't want to do it themselves, they are paying attention to like how I go because it very much is an experiment. Like I feel like I'm yeah. living in the year 2140, and you know fiat has completely been eradicated and now everyone is like join the party but like i'm just 100 years ahead of everyone not to like suggest i'm some sort of messiah or anything like i might be an absolute <laughs> crazy you know stupid person at the end of this experiment but i got to year one and i thought well okay i made 12 months 
that's pretty cool. It's not like, you know, January 1st, 2022, I just decided, oh, shit, quick, open up CoinMarketCap, give it a refresh. What's it, what are we at? Like it, I'm, I'm almost like a drug addict that's cleansed themselves and no, no longer needs to think about getting the next hit. Um, yeah. And, yeah, obviously, like I know the price is going up. I'm not an absolute, you know, I'm not totally immune to it. But in terms of like how you said, I, I could probably guess within a thousand. I, I don't even know if I could guess within a $10,000 range of what Bitcoin's wow. at. Like I, I might, I might get lucky. I might also be like so off that like, I just don't even know. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I've just kept the experiment going. It's just like, now it's just part of, part of my personality is just to like, not really care about the price, not really check the price. And look, I was the same. I used to check the price like every 15 minutes. Like it was just like, you know, refresh. Okay, cool. Whew. It's like still the same. Like it matters. Like you get to a point where like you realize it just doesn't matter. Like if you've done the work and you understand Bitcoin, like the price is irrelevant and it's not because I have a hundred thousand Bitcoin or anything. I don't, people would probably be, people would probably be shocked about my Bitcoin stack. They probably thought I've got more than what I do. Like, I wish I did. I wish I understood it to the level I did now in 2011 when I was first playing around with Bitcoin, but I didn't. And so, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun experience um, kind of being the guinea pig in the room as to like, what is it like not to check the price of Bitcoin and how does it impact your life? I think it's had a net positive. Um, it allows me to focus a bit better and not have to worry too much about my financial, you know, like, oh, shit, my, my portfolio in fiat terms went down 15% today. You know, should I start ripping my hair out or something? Because, you know, I'm, I'm overexposed to Bitcoin, as you could probably imagine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I like to ask guests if there are any beliefs that uh, that they think are, are not widely shared by people around them. So, uh, yeah, I think that <laughs> that's definitely one. In this would be mine. Even, yeah, yeah. Even among Bitcoiners, it, it's, uh, I mean, there are so many things that we agree on. But, uh, yeah, it's great to it's great to hear uh, minority positions. And, uh, yeah, especially something like that, where I, I, I think you are right. And it's something that I should. Uh, think more about every once in a while I think about it but uh but don't really do anything about it so uh yeah yeah I'll have to uh to think more it's about controversial maybe, I'm uh... I'm very aware that it's controversial and that's part of the reason why I do it not for like the clout or anything it's more just like an experiment like someone has to go out there and and do something and this is my something and you know we can all learn from it if I like turns out this was the dumbest thing ever and I somehow miss out on some opportunity, then so be it. Then you know, pay more attention to the price. But you know, lots of people argue with me that number go up is perhaps one of the most important things for Bitcoin adoption. You know, as people's purchasing power increases and their financial standpoint improves, then that's huge for adoption. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not saying that everyone should stop looking at the price because, you know, um, it'll, the adoption will happen regardless. I think it's a very important metric and, you know, you do you. Like, I'm not saying everyone should be like me and not check the price. It's just, it's a silly thing that I decided to do. Like another one that I, I decided, it's usually like a New Year's resolution, not to be like super cliche or anything. It just seems like a clean way to do it. Um, yeah. So it was on New Year's that I set this challenge in 2021. Um, sorry, 2022. I actually set a new one this year, which is funny because um, the one that I set was, I was... I was going to do a push-up for every day of the year. So first it was, okay, I'll do one push-up on day one, two push-ups on day two, all the way to, to day 365 or 366 in the leap year. Um, and then I was like, shit, that's actually pretty crazy because, like, once I get over 50, <laughs> I'm doing 51 the next next day, 52 the next day, 50. Like, that's a lot of fucking push-ups. I don't know if I can do that's that That's a many. lot of push-ups. 
yeah so then I, I i changed it slightly to like i'll just match the day of the month so on january 1st i'll do one january 2 i'll do two all the way up to january 31 i'll do 31 and then on feb 1st i go back to one push-up mm. and so i do that for 12 months and so that's my new challenge it's got nothing to do with bitcoin per se but the funny thing is like literally six weeks ago or sometime after i set this challenge someone came out on bitcoin twitter and was like let's do 100k push-ups a day until bitcoin hits 100k I saw that like meme thing pop up and now everyone's yeah. doing this push-up challenge and I'm just sitting here going, hey, I just thought of that, but like slightly different. It's not Bitcoin related. It was more just like, let's see what happens over the course of, you know, dollar cost averaging, so to speak, into push-ups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? You might have more uh, clout on, on Twitter than uh, what you think. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't even mention this. I haven't actually mentioned this on my Twitter. Oh, really? Like if I mention it now, it feels like maybe I'm just doing some copycat thing. But those who know know me in my inner circle know that on January 1st, I asked all my friends, all my colleagues, like who wants to go in on this challenge with me, just like I did with the note checking price one two years prior. A few people actually said, yeah, I'll give it a go. But I'm pretty sure they haven't stuck it out. Like we're into now mm. the second month. I'm still actually, I've got to do my 20 today. So I'll probably do that right after this. Um but yeah, like uh, I, I like these fun little challenges, a little bit of experiment uh, to see what happens. Um, it, it kind of goes in line with my low tire preference thinking. So, you know, I could just easily do, I think it equates to about 5,580 push-ups over the course of the year. I could just do 5,000 wow. push-ups this month and be over and done with. But like, I like <laughs> the fact that on the first of the month, like I'm forced to only do one. I could easily do hmm. two, but I can't because I'm being very disciplined about it. Um, so yeah, there's a whole host of different little tricks and benefits into these little challenges that I set myself. Well, all right. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do one thing as a result of this uh, conversation. I'm gonna take the price off of uh, my iPhone lock screen because uh, I think you're right. That uh, I mean, yeah, don't even need to be ch checking the price, but uh, but to have it in my face every time I'm opening my phone is just ridiculous. So. Uh, yeah, I am going to do that and uh, see if I can go farther than that. Uh, I'm doing some push-ups as well. So uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some uh, there's something going around, something uh, everyone's suddenly getting into push-ups. Contagious. Yeah. I'm curious to hear, like, what your experience is. Like, do, do you find, us a noticeable, find a noticeable change by removing that price metric from your, from your lock screen? Does it change your behavior? Does, like, because at the end of the day, like, I do the same thing every day, every day of the week irrespective of what the price of Bitcoin does, which is for me, it was very easy to remove it because I'm not a trader. If I'm like a day trader, I need to know the price of Bitcoin. Like this is my livelihood. This is my job. I'm not a trader. I have a very simplistic dollar cost average methodology. It's all automated. So I don't need, I don't even need to go into the exchange or, or whatever to even check what's going on. It just happens. It's set up, set and forget. If it goes to 200K tomorrow, I'm buying that little bit of Bitcoin. If it goes to you know, 2000, I'm, I'm buying that. I'll probably actually buy a little bit more if I knew, but I'm still buying that same automated set and forget amount. So for me, it was just like, I just get rid of it. Like it doesn't really provide any genuine value other than the fact that I can say like, oh, cool. Like my portfolio is worth this much in fiat terms, but like fiat is dead to me. Like I'm not mm. interested in fiat. I don't like, I think, I think the only person that I have found in the Bitcoin space that kind of comes close to this line of thinking is Jeff Booth. Um, hmm. he, he, his book, the price of tomorrow, I think is probably one of my favorite books. Um, oh, yeah. there's obviously a lot of great Bitcoin books, but it's not even really a Bitcoin book. It kind of is kind of isn't, but, um, his book is fantastic. And like, 
he was the first person that I, I started reading and I was like, holy shit, like he thinks like me. Not to suggest I'm the smartest Jeff Booth, I'm clearly not. But um, yeah, like I love I love his idea. And so like the analogy I often use about the, the checking the price thing is like, like the fiat price of Bitcoin is irrelevant. It's like going outdoors um, and trying to, trying to measure the temperature, but using like a tape measure. Like it just doesn't work. Mm. They're incompatible. Trying to measure Bitcoin with the fiat lens is it's just broken. There's two different things and they don't work together. Um, so it's an irrelevant metric in that in that sense. So that's why I've also part, partially why I've just said, no, nah, screw that. Like it's 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 useless. Yeah, I totally agree. I I, uh, I read the price of tomorrow um, last year, so a, a while after I was I was already into Bitcoin, but I, I kept hearing about it, so I finally read it. It's 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 pretty short. It's not hard to read at all, and I was it's a great book. By, yeah, I was surprised by how little it actually mentions Bitcoin. Uh, just a little bit yeah. at the end, but it it sets up the the perspective that you need to to understand Bitcoin. Uh, and it, it touches on so many different domains, different industries. So yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great like introductory book for people getting into Bitcoin. Um, I actually kind of, I, I uh, started this podcast around the time that I read the book and I kind of based the, the name of the podcast on the name of the book. Uh, Cause obviously one, one meaning of it is like beyond the price. I, I was tired of people just uh, thinking that Bitcoin is a number and the only thing the only thing that it matters for is uh, is increasing your fiat stack. Yeah. But also, I, I kind of had in mind this idea that at some point, there, this big price tag is going to come, like for the this terrible system we have right now. And uh, and if if we're right about Bitcoin, then potentially there can be like a good world, even a better world, on the other side of that huge uh, huge toll, huge price. So uh, yeah, I kind of started this out of curiosity about what that would look like once we get beyond um, probably some uh, some challenges that are coming. I don't think I've ever explained that on, on the podcast before, but uh, yeah, yeah, that book was influential for awesome. me too. No, I love that. That's a great meaning. Like, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Like, we should be thinking beyond the price for sure. So uh, where would you like to send people for the conference or uh, to just uh, find out a little bit more about things we've been talking about here? Yeah, sure. If you're interested in uh, Bitcoin Alive, you can head to our website. That's got all of the information, tickets, speakers, sponsors, exhibitors, all that sort of stuff. Um, www.bitcoinalive.io. You can find us across pretty much all of the socials, but we're most active on Twitter because that's, I guess, where the majority of the Bitcoiners live. Um, I think Bitcoin, Bitcoin Alive is our Twitter handle. Um, you'll find us on there. Please reach out if you've got questions about the event. If there are any issues or there are recommendations. So it's probably a little bit late in the piece to be able to implement some of it, but we're happy to hear people's feedback and what they want to hear. At the end of the day, the event is servicing the community, not ourselves. Whilst, you know, we're Bitcoiners and we think we might know what people want, there's a diverse range of people out there. So please let us know what you'd like to see, um, how we can improve. We'd love to see everyone from Australia and New Zealand and any of the close regions come along to Bitcoin Alive. Um, you know, for this thing to exist, we need to support it. So um, it never existed. And so, you know, hopefully we can continue to see people coming along to this thing and we can keep putting this thing on. Um, we're not money driven, but we, of course, don't want to lose money. Um, you can't really be sustainable doing that. So, you know, if we want to have a nice Bitcoin Alive or a Bitcoin conference, then we've got to get out there and support it. 
Um, so hopefully people find enough value to to deem, you know, their support. But yeah, please reach out. Please come along. Um, be great to meet you all there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Like fast, we don't get to enjoy it as much because we're running around like headless chooks, mm. making sure things are in the right place and putting on the show for everyone. But even that is of some fun as well um, because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So I love putting on things and being able to just look out into the crowd of people having conversations and smiling and enjoying themselves. That's how I find my enjoyment. Um, I've been to heaps of Bitcoin conferences where I'm not the organizer and, you know, I enjoy mm. it from a different perspective. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome being able to put this thing on together and do it for the Australian Bitcoin community and, you know, largely New Zealand and, and the Oceanic region as well. Um, but, yeah. That's 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 where I'd send you. Come along to the to the website. Um, looking forward to connecting with you all. And you know, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. To have a have a yarn about Bitcoin and Bitcoin Alive and all the things that uh, I find interesting. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Uh, all those links will be in the description. And uh, yeah, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much, Bradley. Really appreciate it. Okay, what'd you think of that? I have indeed taken Trading View off my lock screen. I'm thinking about deleting it entirely, although I do like to know what the yen is doing since that actually does have a big short-term impact on my life. Chris is totally right, though. I don't trade Bitcoin, so the price really doesn't impact my life other than my mood and how much I agonize over adjusting my regular buy. But nine times out of ten, I don't change anything. It's just another thing like Twitter or reading the news that felt useful in the beginning but just turned into entertainment, whether for happiness or outrage. It is the number one thing that gets people through the door of Bitcoin interest, but there's too many people loitering in the entrance, or the genkan as we might say in Japan. So let me know if you're interested in taking up Chris's challenge, and let me know if you're able to make it to Bitcoin Alive too. Once again, the discount code is beyond the price, no spaces, all caps. Follow the show if you don't want to miss an episode. Leave me a rating somewhere, anywhere you like, or a review. I've never left a single podcast review anywhere, but uh, you're better than me. Uh, if you don't want to do that, then uh, just send this episode to an Australian friend, because everyone knows someone from Australia, right? In any case, let me know what you thought. Thank you so much for listening, and talk to you again soon.